Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of angina found under the cardiovascular section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 70-year-old man presents to his primary care physician with recurrent, intermittent, sudden-onset chest pain and shortness of breath. He reports that he often tires easily climbing the stairs. Initially, he experienced chest pain with activity, but now it occurs throughout the day. Medical history is significant for hypertension and type 2 diabetes. An electrocardiogram demonstrates mild ST segment depressions in V1 and V2. Cardiac troponins are not elevated. This is a case of unstable angina. Let's continue with a brief introduction. Clinically, angina is defined as substernal chest discomfort secondary to myocardial ischemia. However, myocyte necrosis is not present. Note that the patient will likely report discomfort rather than pain. In terms of epidemiology, remember that risk factors include smoking, atherosclerosis, and poor dietary habits. In order to understand the pathogenesis, remember that myocardial ischemia occurs when the heart's demand for oxygen exceeds its oxygen supply. Factors that increase the heart's demand for oxygen include heart rate, contractility, systolic blood pressure, and myocardial wall tension or stress. Determinants of oxygen supply include oxygen carrying capacity, the unloading of oxygen from hemoglobin, and coronary artery blood flow. Also remember the phenomenon of coronary steel. This is when a vasodilatory agent causes worsening chest pain by shunting blood away from the already ischemic myocardium. In terms of the specific pathology itself, it is due to myocardial ischemia which leads to acidosis, a decrease in ATP supply, and the release of chemical substances such as adenosine. Afterwards, sympathetic sensory neurons become activated and result in the perception of pain in a dermatomal distribution. That is pain in the chest, neck, jaw, and down the left arm most commonly. Geriatric or diabetic patients may not experience chest discomfort or pain due to impaired sensory nerve conduction, such as from diabetic neuropathy, or may present with atypical symptoms such as GI pain, nausea, and vomiting. One should obtain an ECG in all patients who could be presenting with atypical symptoms. Now let's discuss the general workup. Initially, one should obtain an ECG, as well as cardiac biomarkers, which would include troponins, CK, and or CKMB, and a chest x-ray. Cardiac catheterization is then used for definitive diagnosis for high-risk patients. It helps to locate and assess severity of the lesions, and it may provide treatment, such as with a stent. Stress testing can also be used to evaluate simultaneously with ECG, echo, or radionuclide perfusion studies. For patients with suspected stable angina, initial exercise stress ECG with or without an echo is indicated in those with no contraindications to exercise. In patients with contraindications to exercise, such as those with a physical disability, a pharmacologic stress test can be performed using dobutamine or adenosine. But remember that pharmacologic stress tests always combine ECG and echo to improve sensitivity. For patients with intermediate risk, such as chest pain that develops with exertion but is relieved with rest or nitroglycerin, or patients that have CAD risk factors, stress testing may also be used. All antianginal medications, that is beta blockers, nitrates, or calcium channel blockers, should be held for 48 hours before a stress test. For pharmacological stress tests using adenosine Oregadenosin, use of diperidomol should be held for 48 hours and intake of caffeine held for 12 hours to minimize false negative findings of ischemia. 
And finally, low-risk patients with negative workup can be discharged with reassurance. This includes young female patients under the age of 50 that are active, non-smokers, and that experience chest pain not associated with exertion. Now, let's dive deeper into the different types of angina by describing their pathology, clinical presentation, and distinguishing features. In stable angina, the pathology is typically secondary to atherosclerosis, and this impairs coronary perfusion in the setting of increased cardiac demand that is with exertion. Clinically, they present with chest pain that develops with exertion, but is relieved with rest or nitroglycerin. On ECG, they may demonstrate ST segment depressions. Unstable angina, on the other hand, is due to incomplete coronary artery occlusion by a thrombus, which is indicative of a ruptured plaque with subsequent clot formation. They typically present with chest pain that persists whether with decreasing physical activity or rest. An ECG may demonstrate ST-segment depressions or T-wave inversions. And finally, Prince metal angina is due to coronary artery spasms. They present with chest discomfort unrelated to physical activity and it is episodic. They have specific triggers such as cocaine, alcohol, or triptans. An ECG may appear similar to a STEMI, or it may demonstrate ST-segment elevations with reciprocal ST depressions. Patients with Prince metal angina are treated with calcium channel blockers, smoking cessation, and nitrates. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to angina, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 65-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. She states that it started one hour ago and seemed to improve with rest, but then resurfaced, thus prompting her presentation. The patient has a past medical history of hypertension, diabetes, and smoking. Her temperature is 99.2 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 150 over 95, pulse is 92 beats per minute, and respirations are 16 breaths per minute, with oxygen saturation of 100% on room air. Physical exam is notable for diffuse abdominal discomfort on palpation, with no focal tenderness. Heart sounds and lung sounds are unremarkable. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, CT abdomen pelvis. Choice two, ECG. Choice three, lipase and liver enzymes. Choice four, right upper quadrant ultrasound or choice five, troponins. The best answer to this question is choice two, ECG. This elderly woman with a history of diabetes is presenting with abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting that seems exertional in nature. Given her gender and history of diabetes, this could be an atypical presentation of acute coronary syndrome warranting workup with an ECG initially. Acute coronary syndrome classically presents with dyspnea, diaphoresis, and chest pain that may radiate to the arms or jaw. It is common in patients with risk factors such as hypertension, hyperlipidemia, smoking, and atherosclerotic disease. Women and diabetics are more likely to experience an atypical presentation of chest pain, such as with symptoms of abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. For this reason, patients who are suspected of having an atypical presentation of acute coronary syndrome should be worked up initially with an ECG followed by troponins. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, CT abdomen pelvis would be indicated to further work up this patient's abdominal pain if initial labs and an ECG were not revealing of an etiology of the patient's symptoms. 
it is more important to first rule out a cardiac etiology of this patient's symptoms with an ECG. Choice three, lipase and liver enzymes would be indicated in the workup of this patient's abdominal pain and could suggest a diagnosis of liver injury, pancreatitis, or gallbladder disease if there's an elevated AST, ALT, and alkaline phosphatase. This workup does not take preference over working up a cardiac etiology of the patient's symptoms. Choice four, right upper quadrant ultrasound would be indicated in the workup of acute cholecystitis, which presents with right upper quadrant abdominal pain, fever, and a positive Murphy sign. It would likely not be indicated in the workup of this patient given her abdominal pain is diffuse and not localized to the gallbladder. Choice five, Troponin would be indicated in the workup of this patient's abdominal pain regardless, as she may have a normal ECG and be experiencing a non-ST elevation myocardial infarction with atypical symptoms. However, it is not a more dire study than his initial ECG. And finally, a bullet summary. Atypical chest pain is common in elderly patients, women, and diabetics and should be worked up initially with an ECG. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department with chest pain. He has had chest pain for the past year that occurs whenever he gets up to get his mail. It goes away when he sits down for five minutes. Currently, he is pain-free. The type of chest pain he experiences is not different during these episodes. However, he has been unable to follow up with his primary doctor during this time frame and wants his pain to be checked out. His temperature is 99.0 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 144 over 84. Pulse is 133 beats per minute. Respirations are 14 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 95% on room air. Physical exam is notable for an obese man in no acute distress. Cardiopulmonary exam is unremarkable. An ECG is performed and demonstrates a left bundle branch block with a prolonged QRS, a notched R wave in lead one, an M-shaped complex in lead AVL, an RS complex with characteristic QRS complexes in V1 through V3, and a monophasic R-wave in V6, and this is similar to the ECG he had performed last year. Initial lab values are ordered and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 14 grams per deciliter, hematocrit of 45%, a leukocyte count of 4,900 per millimeter cubed with normal differential, a platelet count of 191,000 per millimeter cubed, and troponins less than 0.01 nanograms per milliliter. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are, choice one, costochondritis. Choice two, non-ST elevation myocardial infarction. Choice three, ST elevation myocardial infarction. Choice four, stable angina. Or choice five, unstable angina. The best answer to this question is, choice four, stable angina. This patient is presenting with chest pain that occurs in a stable pattern that is pain with exertion that is relieved by rest, that is unchanged from his baseline chest pain, an unchanged ECG with the left bundle branch block, and a normal troponin, which is concerning for stable angina. Stable angina presents with chest pain that is worse with exertion and relieved by rest. It occurs in a predictable and stable pattern, meaning it does not change in terms of its quality, quantity, or severity. Patients with angina should be managed with lifestyle modifications, such as with exercise and weight loss, medical management, such as with statins, aspirin, and beta blockers, 
and possibly a diagnostic catheterization, in particular if the patient is high risk with many risk factors or with severe limitations in activity. Stable angina does not have chest pain at rest, does not have evolving chest pain, and has a normal or unchanged ECG from the patient's baseline and has normal troponins. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, costochondritis presents with chest pain worse with stretching of the chest and palpation along the costochondral margin. It does not occur in a predictable pattern with exertion. Choice two, non-ST elevation myocardial infarction presents with a normal ECG or nonspecific ECG changes such as ST depression or T wave inversions, as well as an elevated troponin level, which this patient does not have. Management involves aspirin, clopidogrel, heparin, and catheterization. Choice three, ST elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, presents with chest pain, diaphoresis, ST elevation on ECG in a vascular distribution, and troponin elevation, and should be treated with aspirin, clopidogrel, heparin, and emergent cardiac catheterization and stenting. This patient has a left bundle branch block. Thus, a diagnosis of STEMI involves three points or more with Scarbosa criteria. This includes concordant ST elevation more than one millimeter in leads with a positive QRS, which is worth five points, concordant ST depressions of more than one millimeter in V1, V2, or V3, which counts as for three points, and discordant ST elevation of greater than five millimeters in leads with a negative QRS, which is worth two points. Choice five. Unstable angina is any change in chest pain from a patient's baseline and can include chest pain that is worse than usual, chest pain with less exertion, change in the quality of chest pain, or any change from a patient's baseline stable angina. This patient states that his pain is unchanged, and he is merely presenting for a checkup. And finally, a bullet summary. Stable angina presents with chest pain that is unchanged from baseline, typically occurring with exertion and relieved by rest. That's all for this review about angina. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, We'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.